Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. I'm Marcus, and alongside me, positively bursting with movie wisdom, mm-hmm. is Nick Chaffee. Hello. Now then, coming up on today's show, we will be reviewing the most eagerly anticipated conclusion of a trilogy of trilogies. It's Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And we're very excited to follow that with the definitive movie chart of films that we reviewed. It's the Sunshine Cinema Show Top 10 Films of 2019. You don't want to miss this because I'm sure there's a few surprises in there. Maybe. But before we get into it, here's Nick with the latest movie news. Thanks, Marcus. So the headlines this time, Russell Crowe to write, direct and star in Michael Pierre White biopic, and Keanu Reeves talks about upcoming Matrix 4. Marco Pierre White, the outspoken chef and host of the TV show Hell's Kitchen from 2004 to 2009, has revealed that Russell Crowe will write, direct and star in a new film about Pierre White's life. Speaking to the Daily Mail, Pierre White said, I've just signed the deal, Russell has written a script, Russell's company is producing it, Russell is directing it and Russell is playing the third or fourth Marco. When you do a movie on your life, you don't just have one Marco, I'm nearly 60. If there was anyone in Hollywood to play me, it would have to be Russell. The film has reportedly been in the planning stage for five years, with Ridley Scott earlier attached to direct either Michael Fassbender or Tom Hardy in the leading role. Pierre Wright explained that as his acquaintance with Crowe grew, I thought to myself, actually, I think Russell Crowe should be playing me, not Michael Fassbender. Pierre White became famous in the 1990s when he was made head chef at the London restaurant Harvey's at the age of 24, in charge of a team including Gordon Ramsay, with whom he later fell out. In 1995, age 33, he became the youngest chef to be awarded three Michelin stars. Alongside his interest in the film industry, Crow is an investor in an organic beef company that sells to restaurants in Sydney and Melbourne. In 2015, the actor vented his anger at shoddy practices and low standards in the hospitality industry, saying workers should be held to the highest level of due diligence and responsibility. Also in 2015, Bradley Cooper starred as a volatile London-based chef said to be partly inspired by Pierre White in the flop drama Burnt. We reviewed it. It wasn't very good. Is this a good idea? I mean... Looking through a whole list of films about chefs yeah. and cooks, there aren't any that particularly stand out. No, I'm uh, struggling to think of one that I've uh, seen and enjoyed. Have you seen Ratatouille? Oh, yeah, that counts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not a real life figure though, sadly. <laughs> but that was good. Um, just just a little thing here that was just quickly mentioned. Um, three or four Marco Pierre Whites. Hmm. So I guess this is uh, sort of like a like a I'm not there situation. The Bob Dylan film. That was very good. I'm guessing that Marco Pierre White has this amazing life story that we don't know about. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing about what, what I know about him is uh, just in that article there. So, no, no, it could, it could be good. But if it's been in the works for a while, then, you know, I would have thought there's something to it. I don't think Russell Crowe would have got so on board with it if there wasn't something there. No, yeah, yeah. I'd like to think that anyway, so. I don't think so, yeah. Fingers, Fingers crossed. He doesn't do things like half measures, does he? No, awesome. he, Full, full Monty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
During an interview, Keanu Reeves talked about the script for Matrix 4. And based on what he's been allowed to reveal, the film is shaping up to be huge. The announcement for the fourth instalment of the Matrix saga has shook science fiction fans around the world, especially since they have managed to keep some of the original crew, including Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss in particular, as well as Lana Wachowski as writer and director. Lana made a comment regarding her involvement in the new chapter. Many of the ideas Lily and I explored 20 years ago about our reality are even more relevant now. I'm very happy to have these characters back in my life and grateful for another chance to work with my brilliant friends. Production is set to start any day now, slated to begin sometime in early 2020. Keanu Reeves sat down for an interview with Entertainment Tonight where he agreed to say a bit about what he thinks without revealing too much. It's very ambitious, as it should be. That's it. <laughs> the Matrix franchise has brought in over $1.6 billion in the global box office, and this fourth chapter will surely help the franchise tip over the $2 billion mark. In addition to Neo and Trinity, a large part of the original crew will also be returning from Matrix 4. There have even been rumours about John Toll, the cinematographer renowned for his work in Legends of the Fall, joining the project. Are you looking forward to this? Absolutely, yeah. Now, I saw the first one. Mm hmm as I would like to think most people have by this point. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved it. It, it. it still remains one of my favourite films of all the time. I saw it in a cinema uh, not too long ago when it was re-released for the, uh, oh goodness, the 20th anniversary. Oh, don't say that. As oh. I know, absolutely holds up, though. It was my first time seeing it on a big screen as well, and it was just an incredible experience all around. Have you seen the, the other two, the, the second and third? Since they, well, uh, yeah, I saw them when they came out in cinemas. Since um, they've come out? Since uh, yes, I, I, I watched them all um, back to back quite a few years ago when I was in university, and honestly, I, I think they've firstly they're not quite as bad as we remember. Secondly, I think the third one is actually quite good. I think there's more interesting things to say than uh, people give it credit for, and I think the main problem with the second one was that they, it, it simply tried to be too big. That it had all of the big. The, the four, okay, the first one was good. It had the, the exposition stuff and the fighting stuff. What did we have? A lot of exposition and a lot of fighting stuff, and it was just having a little bit too much for that film to handle. Yeah. But um, I'm you know I'm I'm softer on them than, than most people are. <laughs> have you seen them since? The no, film? no. And I I would like to think that this fourth episode will maybe go in a slightly different direction, mm -hmm. something fresher, possibly leading leading to another trilogy maybe yeah and i don't know maybe maybe we're going back in time to um pre um pre-matrix history okay if, right if you know what i mean yes maybe more, more of like lawrence fishburne's um rise rise up yeah i don't know it could go in any direction, couldn't it? There's a lot of material there. There's a lot of uh, supplementary uh, you know, anime shorts and stuff, which uh, I haven't seen, but I want to. <laughs> this is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, let's have a look now then at the top five UK box office films, followed by the top five UK film rentals. Mm -hmm. And at the box office at number five, it's a film that a lot of people have been talking about. Oh. <laughs> and you've seen it now, Nick. Oh, yes. Let's talk cats. Let's talk cats. Goodness me. Um, I oh, I saw this about a week ago now, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure what I thought about it. Um, reviews have not been particularly kind. The movie hasn't uh, taken too much. I think Universal has sort of officially withdrawn it from consideration for awards at, at this point, because I think they see where the tide is turning. All I'll say is this. The trailer is a really good approximation of what the four-length film is like. So whatever reaction you had watching that is the reaction you'll have with the film at large, is, is what I found. Had you seen the musical? No. 
Okay. I was aware of it. Um, and apparently this is a very good adaptation of it. It's it's weird. Okay. <laughs> At number four at the UK box office, we have Frozen 2. Yep, still hanging on in there. I think one of the, um, already one of the biggest grossing films of um, of the year. Yeah, inevitable, wasn't it, really? Probably, yeah, yeah. Considering how much the first one did as well. At number three, we have Little Women. Yeah, I've seen this, and it's just lovely. I think immediately one of my favourite films that I've seen uh, this year. I think I wasn't, I haven't uh, read the, the the source novel or seen any of the previous. Um, I think six cinematic adaptation. So I had no idea what a story was, and I just loved it. Everything about. It. I think it's a it's a very good follow up to uh, Lady Bird from director Greta Gerwig as well, and the cast are just terrific as well. It's a really really nice way to spend a couple of hours. Number two, we have Jumanji: The Next Level. Yeah, which we reviewed on the program. Uh, oh yeah, it was last time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, scored a five out of ten. I mean, it's 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 fine. I, I don't think it has quite the surprise factor as the uh, the previous one, which was you know that was good as well. But you know, if you want more of the same, and clearly plenty of people do, because <laughs> it's in the charts, then um, it's gonna fit the bill. And at number one in the UK box office, we have Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, which we will be reviewing very shortly. So let's have a look now at the top five UK film rentals. Number five, Angel Has Fallen. The, uh, the, the the third in this uh, a surprise trilogy. I think I don't think anyone was expecting them to make three of the uh, of the movies with the uh, Olympus Has Fallen and London Has Fallen banner. Uh, I've not seen any of them. I've I've heard that this one is is better than the previous two, which is you know always it's always nice to see when people can improve things as sequels go on. At number four, we have Toy Story Four. Yeah, uh, which we have previously reviewed on the program, and as luck would have it, we'll be talking about more later on in the program when we. Uh, visit it in our top ten. And number three, we have Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, also previously reviewed on the programme. I'm trying to find it in the list. There it is. Five out of ten. Uh, yeah, another five out of ten. It's okay. I think um, I think everyone involved has been um, has made previous has, has made better movies in the past. Uh, directed David Leitch, the the stars. Even the Fast and Furious franchise has been better than this. I think it's it's okay. It's five out of ten. Number two, we have The Lion King. Yep, also previously reviewed on the programme. This one got a four out of ten. It was very... <laughs> a bit of a negative couple of uh, couple of top five stars this week. It's... I mean, we said this before. It wasn't really for us. We're you know, big fans of the animated original. This didn't really add anything new, unfortunately. Once you get past the, the special effects, yeah. which is quite quickly... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they are good. They are good. But that's, that's it, really. Yeah. It's, yeah. And at number one... And the UK film rentals chart is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep, previously reviewed on a programme as well, and wouldn't you know it, that's going to be somewhere in our top ten later on as well. <laughs> Stay tuned, because that is an interesting top ten. Um, it is, yes, yes. Okay, up next, it's the conclusion of the story that started a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We review Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. In a world fraught with corruption, two men united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. And now it's time for our review of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. 
When it's discovered that the evil Emperor Palpatine did not die at the hands of Darth Vader, the rebels must race against the clock to find out his whereabouts. Finn and Poe lead the resistance to put a stop to the First Order's plans to form a new empire, while Rey anticipates her inevitable confrontation with Kylo Ren. We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker was directed by J.J. Abrams, who also directed episode 7 of The Force Awakens. The huge cast includes Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Adam Driver, Mark Hamill, Anthony Daniels, and Carrie Fisher. And uh, the series music composer, John Williams, who composed the music that we heard a little earlier, appears for a cameo as the bartender in the cantina. Ah, good for him. So then, Nick, um, before we get into this uh, concluding episode, Mm. let's just look back on on how you feel about this sequel trilogy so far. Okay. Speaking as a a big Star Wars fan for, I think, over 20 years ago now, since the... um, since, yeah, since they re-released the uh, original trilogy. So, um, we started in 2015 with Episode 7, The Force Awakens, co-written and directed by J.J. Abrams, which, appropriately enough, I gave a 7 out of 10 on the show, which I remember being, at the time, not quite as enthusiastic as, as most people, but I, I, I still stand by my conclusion. It feels very very safe, but it is it is pretty good, and as the initial instalment in a new trilogy... It uh, it provided a solid foundation for later films to move into more unexplored territory, which is exactly what we got in 2017 with Episode 8, The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, We've not officially given this one a score, but I did give it a quick review on an episode last year, I think just after our solo review, and had and still have nothing but good things to say about it. It's a film that I've revisited uh, a few times since, uh, which is something I haven't done with Seven, and I, I, I still love it. It represented exactly what I personally wanted from a new Star Wars trilogy. It's a lot of familiar elements being used in new, interesting ways to tell a story that really resonates with me on an emotional level. And that last point is something that no other Star Wars film has done for me. Uh, the film also had some some unexpected plot developments, some of which were a little, little risky and admittedly uh, controversial within the fandom. And so the big question I had going into Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, was whether it would have the courage to stand by what Episode Eight has set up or backtrack and play it safe, like the, the previous entry that Abrams co-wrote and directed. I got my answer immediately with the opening crawl and it was not the one I wanted. Uh, I'm not going to get too deep into discussing the plot because I'll be here all day, but suffice to say it is one I found 
almost completely unsatisfying. Not just because it feels like a, 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 sto- a story designed to appease some of the more vocal opponents of the previous film, but, but because of the way it's told as well. There are so many moments of plot contrivance just stacked up like a Jenga tower that it, it was difficult for me to ignore them, regardless of how quickly the script pushes the characters through them, hoping that we won't notice. And I, I know how these films work. I can forgive a few moments of convenience like that. I mean, there's a few in the, in the first uh, Star Trek movie, that J.J. Abrams made, and I, I really like that film. But there's so many in, in this one, and some of them are such bizarre choices that I found it difficult to not obsessively analyse them when the film was playing. Just one, for example. There are multiple instances where a main character seems to die off, but is then immediately shown to be fine. Multiple instances of, like, like, like upwards of three and four. Um, the, the Emperor Returns, off-screen... Like we're just told in the opening call, oh, he's back. We're not, we're not showed how, we don't see the characters reacting to his return, it's just, it just happens on, off screen. He sends a message over the radio, apparently. You don't hear that message in the film, uh, but you can hear it if you play Fortnite. There's a special event there, you can hear it there. Oh. Not in the film, though. Uh, the absence of Carrie Fisher is felt really hard. I, I appreciate that they've done their best to, to write around her death, but the, the execution of those scenes just highlights how big of a role Leia was supposed to play in this film. That sadly was unavoidable, but I I can't excuse the rest of the writing. It it feels really hastily cobbled together. The film does have some good moments. (laughs) Mostly comedy related, which is something I said about episode seven. The comedy is 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 really good. Um I think the visual like the visual style is great. Something that the sequel trilogy has done quite well is um uh acknowledging how lightsabers will uh, illuminate the space around them which is something that the, the previous George Lucas films didn't really take into consideration. The the John Williams score is as as good as ever. Um, I think that the times where I did feel invested in what was going on, I think were mostly down to hearing his familiar themes once more. Uh, there's plenty of cute references to previous movies, if that matters to you. I really enjoyed Babu Frick, uh, this uh, little droid mechanic alien who's voiced by Shirley Henderson, who um, sounds like a really ex- excitable grandfather. It was good. Uh, C-3PO gets some, some time to shine, which Anthony Annuals has definitely earned, being the, the only actor to appear in every Star Wars film. Um, Ian McDermott and Billy Dee Williams are back. They're doing their thing. They're fine. I mean, the, the rest of the cast do pretty well with the material they have. And you know, The cast in these films has, has always been great. I think that's one of the key strengths of J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker, is that he knows casting really, really well. But then we come to Kelly Marie Tran who um, plays Rose Tico, who was a character that was debuted in uh, episode 8. And she endured just relentless racist and misogynist harassment following her performance in that film on over social media, to the extent where she left social media altogether. She was bullied off it. And her role in this film is tiny. She has, has about five lines of dialogue, is barely in it. And considering J.J. Emmons previously said that she was the, the best part of the previous film... This is a move that feels designed to appease the people that bullied her off of social media. That may not be the intent, but that is how it feels. And I think that is the the one part of this film that makes me genuinely cross. Um, it's a big disappointment, overall. Ooh. Well, okay. So, you scored Force Awakens 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, Last Jedi, you would give... Nine. Nine. I'm uh, scared to ask that uh, what's your Sunshine Cinema show rating for Rise of Skywalker? Um, 
it's, it's not without merit as I said the, the, the comedy is good and there are some good character moments but it's a film and you'll notice because we've been in, in email discussions it's a film I found very difficult to recommend to people so I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10 the most crushing thing to me is that it just feels like another film it doesn't feel special like the um, I mean the, the previous two did I such a disappointment yeah wow well, we'd love to know your thoughts on the film. Perhaps you had a different perspective to Nick. Perhaps you loved it. Perhaps you saw something that, that we didn't. And on the other hand, maybe you agreed with Nick. Let us know. You can contact us via Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. Coming up next, Nick and I will run you through the Sunshine Cinema Show's top 10 films of 2019. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Okay, so then, this is the uh, part of the show I know so many of you have been looking forward to. It's the Sunshine Cinema Show, top ten films of 2019. Let's move on to some positivity. <laughs> now, our chart only includes films that we reviewed on the show last year. Yeah. And were released in the UK in 2019. And some of the uh, movies making it into our list may well surprise you. So, without further ado, we will start at number 10, where we have 8th Grade, rated 15, released in April uh, 2019. An introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous 8th grade, grade year before leaving to start high school. Hey guys, uh, it's Kayla, back with another video. So... The topic of today's video is being yourself. Being yourself can be hard, and it's like, aren't I always being myself? And yeah, for sure. But being yourself is like not changing yourself to impress someone else. A lot of people like call me quiet or shy or whatever, but I'm not quiet. Most quiet, Kayla Day. I don't talk a lot at school, but if people talk to me and stuff, they'd find out that I'm like really funny and cool and talkative. By the way, I like your shirt a lot. It's like so cool. What? The former US President Barack Obama lists eighth grade as one of his favorite films. Mm hmm. It's true. So uh, this is a snapshot of uh, what early adolescence is, is like nowadays. Um, as you can, well, as you see in the film, much has changed thanks to the the advent of social media. But much re remains the same, and as such, the film is uh, incredibly relatable. I think it's largely a comedy and, and a very well observed one. Uh, that the script is fantastic, as are uh, the cast as a whole. Elsie Fisher makes for a wonderful lead, and uh, Josh Hamilton is one of the best, sorry, the best movie dads of recent years. The uh, electronic score by Anna Meredith is really interesting too. Uh, the film doesn't shy away from the the uglier aspect of adolescence either it uh, features one scene in particular that goes to a, a very almost uncomfortably dark place but it's about an aspect of life that uh, requires an, an uncomfortable conversation and i'm happy that bo burnham has the courage to bring it up and the directorial talent to not let it derail an otherwise comedic film it's a great film for people who have been this age and uh, especially parents of children who are this age at number nine we have john wick three Rated 15. Released May last year. Oh, give it a full title, Marcus. John Wick, Parabellum. Chapter 3, Parabellum. Parabellum. Sorry. <laughs> John Wick is on the run after killing a member of the International Assassins Guild. And with a $14 million price tag on his head, he is the target of hitmen and women everywhere. 
There's no escape for you. The high table wants your life. Do you expect him to make it out? A $14 million bounty on his head. Everyone in the city wants a piece of it. I say the odds are about even. John Wick, excommunicado, in effect, in three, two, one. And away we go. going in like the old days just a conversation nothing's ever just a conversation with you john i love that like trailer uses andy williams to soundtrack <laughs> it's beautiful John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, stars Keanu Reeves and Halle Berry. And just to show how intense the action scenes were in this film, she actually broke three of her ribs while filming. Mm. But she's doing all of her own stunts as well, which is um, yeah, much like Keanu Reeves. We've, we've always done these movies uh, on this programme. This is the longest one to date, but absolutely no time is, is wasted at all. I think the opening is perhaps the best this series has ever been. And uh, considering the opening is about an hour long, that's uh, really saying something. There are just so many great movie moments in this one, too. There's a, there's a reloading race, there's an underwater gunfight, there's horse foo, there's a knife fight in a knife museum. Um, there's a, a bit where John faces off against some heavily armoured enemies and essentially has to use his pistol as a drill in order to dispatch them. Keanu Reeves continues to prove himself as a fantastic physical actor and the uh, the rest of the cast continues to fill with recognisable faces, including uh, Mark Dacascos from Brotherhood of the Wolf, who's playing an assassin who is also John Wick's biggest fan and uh, he you know, brings a, a unique energy to his fight scenes. The, uh, the film... Uh, very clearly sets itself up for a fourth one and although I am anxious about just how far this series can stretch on the basis of this they haven't even begun to run out of steam so can't wait for that one At number 8 in our top 10 films of 2019 we have Toy Story 4 rated U and released in June When a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang a road trip alongside old and new friends reveals just how big the world can be for a toy. Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, hi. Hello. Hi. Ah. He's a spork. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. Not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Woody. Bo? Who needs a kid's room when you can have all of this? Wow. Woody, aren't we going to Bonnie? Toy Story does many great things and we have to wait until Story, Toy Story 4 to be introduced to a new toy 
Duke Kaboom, Canada's greatest stuntman, voiced by Keanu Reeves. Yes. Uh, so, Toy Story 4 was one of the films we reviewed uh, on an episode that we unfortunately lost recording of, so um, I'm very happy that we get to talk about it at length once more. Uh, this is a welcome return from all of the gang, including Randy Newman, who uh, contributes some new songs, uh, with some wonderful additions. Forky, uh, we heard they're played by Tony Hale, and uh, as, as we said, voice roles for Keanu Reeves, Christina Hendricks, Keegan-Michael Key, and Jordan Peele. But it also finds something new to say about what being a toy means, and also finding meaning in your life, which is heavy stuff, but that's to be expected from the, the studio that brought us inside out and... You know, the, the three previous Toy Stories. Uh, I kept saying uh, when it appeared in the top fives that it's uh, it's as good as we hoped it would be. Uh, I still think that's the best summation of, of the films and the series' success. This was a series that I grew up with, and it was nice to do that one more time. So this, this tied in our respective rankings with John Wick 3, but we put this one on top because... Um, I think, as I alluded to earlier, sequels get harder to, to do as the series goes on, and 4 is bigger than 3. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. At number seven in our top ten is Us. Oh, it's Us. Not Us. Oh. The other Us. Uh, oh. They look like Us. Yes. But they're not Us. No. Or are they? Wow. Mm. <laughs> Rated 15 and released in March last year. A family's serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorise them. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But you have a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. What are you people? It's us. They look exactly like us. They think like us. They won't stop until they kill us. And we kill them. Us was written and directed by Jordan Peele, the man who's basically defining a new genre of horror, and did so with Get Out. Yes. Um, yeah, he continues to carve his own specific niche into the horror genre. But th- this is a film that's very adept at finding the humour in very, very intense scenes without letting that tension deflate. It's a, a very tricky needle to thread, but Jordan Peele has managed to do it countless times in two films now, after Get Out, and he's you know, demonstrating a terrific sense of uh, visual style as well. Uh, on these top tens, we always seem to end up highlighting performances in horror films that should win awards, but uh, due to some maybe some anti-horror snobbery, probably won't. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o is right in that category with her performances in this. Everyone in the cast has to play two roles uh, due to the story, and they all nail both of them, but Lupita specifically is uh, really, really good. It's an incredibly intense experience all around, and it's not the only horror film on our list. Moving to number six in our chart, we have The Art of Self-Defense, rated 15, and it was released in July last year. After being attacked on the street, a young man enlists a local dojo, led by a charismatic and mysterious sensei, in an effort to learn how to defend himself from future threats. I 
want to sign up for classes. It's excellent news. I'm going to go ahead and enter you into the system. Name, Casey... Davies? It's a very feminine-sounding name. Why karate? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of other men. <laughs> they intimidate me. I want to be what intimidates me. Questions multiple choice. A, health and fitness. B, career opportunity. C, New Year's resolution. D, self-defense slash traumatic experience. What if it's none of the above? Should I read the choices again? No, that's okay. A, health and fitness. I think one of the best descriptions to sum up the art of self-defense. Uh, it's described as a black comedy remake of The Karate Kid. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I, I can see that. That right there is a is a perfect clip. I think uh, tells you absolutely everything you you need to know. So this was a very small uh, straight to video release in the UK, but uh, it was a film I had my eye on. So um, I'm glad we got to talk about it on the show. Uh, it's, it's got a very unusual tone, which you uh, detect immediately. It's a story that takes place in a satirical heightened reality in which everyone talks in a very uh, artificial way. That might sound like a negative thing, but it actually uh, helps to put you at ease with what's going on in the film, which is some very dark humour. The interplay between Jesse Eisenberg and Alessandro Nivola is enormously entertaining. Eisenberg is someone who's already proven himself adept at this type of material, but Nivola is a revelation. He perfectly gets what the film is going for, and if that clip intrigued you, uh, you will too. Okay, we're going to take a short break and then we will be back with our top five films from 2019. So don't go anywhere. This is Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, let's continue our rundown of the top ten films of 2019 here on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Quick uh, recount at ten, eighth grade at nine, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Bless you. At 8, Toy Story 4, 7, Us, at 6, The Art of Self-Defense. And leading into the top five, we have at number five, If Beale Street Could Talk, rated 15 and released in February last year. A young woman embraces her pregnancy while she and her family set out to prove her childhood friend and lover innocent of the crime he didn't commit. are drinking to new life. Tish gonna have Fani's baby. And who's gonna be responsible for this baby? The father and the mother. Why would you in my arms? I gotta hold our baby in my arms. We'll find a way. That child was born of sin. That child is your grandchild. What difference does it make how he gets here? Unbow your head, sister. We've known Bonnie all his life. He's about to pay for something he didn't do. These are our children, and we gotta set them free. Remember, love is what brought you here. And if you trusted love this far, don't panic now. One of the voices you heard there was uh, Regina King, who received an Oscar for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. 
this was the other film we reviewed on the episode we lost, and it's one that I felt more and more fondly of since then. And I liked it a lot the first time around. Um, at the time, I struggled to put into words just how and why the film uh, resonated so strongly with me. Upon further viewings, I think there's just something about the way that Barry Jenkins uses James Lacton's cinematography and Nicholas Patel's score to get us to immediately empathise with Kiki Lane and Stephen James's character but before we even get to know them. And as we do get to know them better and see what we go through, we feel that connection more and more strongly. The film isn't uh, strictly optimistic about the struggle. The systemic racism that affects their lives is still very much in place by the film's end, reflecting the reality in which we live. But uh, the film does show how the simple act of love and empathy can make the struggle more bearable. Um, as you see, said Regina King won an Oscar for her performance. It's very easy to see why. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry does so much with a very small appearance. I, I just think it's a, a beautiful film through and through. And number four, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And this is one of two films in our top five that are rated 18. And this was released uh, August last year. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick stunt double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. <laughs> Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. All right, what's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Oh, has been. Here I am, flat on my ass. Who, who I got living next door to me? I'm Sharon Tate. I'm in the movie. You're in this? That's me. I play Miss Carlson, the klutz. In this town, I can all change like that. Directed by Quentin Tarantino, who said he worked on the screenplay for five years, and this is probably his most personal. Hmm. It certainly feels like something of a, a career capper for him as well. It's you know got, got the usual Quentin Tarantino trappings, some some shocking violence, quirky dialogue, and a great soundtrack. But this is ultimately a film about friendship. Uh, got an absolutely stacked cast, but top of the bill are Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Brad Pitt in that friendship, doing uh, well, I think both doing career best work. I've seen some people saying that Sharon Tate, uh, played in the film by Margot Robbie, doesn't have much of a presence in the film, which is flat out not true. Uh, she may not have many lines to speak, but she's still a big part of the film. Uh, it's a film that really cares about who she was as a person, which is something I think the ending makes very clear. Um, and it's worth noting that this film does not have the ending you might suspect. It's deliberately slow-paced and you know, maybe a, a little bit too long, like all of Tantino's later films, but... There's no one else m making films quite like he does, so I'll, I'll take what I can get. And number three in our top ten of 2019, we have Ad Astra, rated 12A, released in September. Astronaut Roy McBride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. out there. 
magnitude. We believe your father may be involved. My father's dead. What exactly are you requiring from me? Exploration isn't always a noble venture. We have to hold out the possibility that your father may be hiding from us. We have a job to do. Are you ready? I'm ready. Director James Gray has said that in his opinion, this film features the most realistic depiction of space travel that's been put in a movie. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so, Ad Astra is uh, it's a film that borrows a lot from Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which led many to describe it as Apocalypse Now in Space. Um, and, you know, and that's true to an extent, but the, the film is more than that, and crucially, is a lot more sympathetic than those two stories. It's ultimately a reflection on loneliness and depression and how your connection with your parents can inform and affect those feelings. It's also a space exploration movie that finds time to include pirates on moon buggies and the crazed baboon, so it's a lot. Uh, it's, it's Brad Pitt's best performance to date. I think it's James Gray's best film to date, and he's been making interesting films for a while now. And it's a film that had a big effect on me personally, as I detailed in the initial review. And perhaps because of that, it's um, I'm hesitant to, to re-watch it in case it doesn't have the same effect again. But that's the mark of a film that really hits a target, I think. At number two in our charts, we have Midsommar, rated 18, released in July last year. A couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. School! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? Midsummer came from the twisted mind of Ari Aster, uh, the man behind the equally dark hereditary. Yeah. Uh, this is the film in which Ari Aster turns the lights on and uh, shows that the rest of the world is just as as disturbing as what we saw in Hereditary. Uh, this is like a, a modern-day Wicker Man. It's a horror film that deals in slow dread 
and cruelty um, in a way that Marcus you described in our review as uh, possibly genuinely traumatizing. <laughs> uh, it's it's not scary in the way that most people might think of um, when they when they think of horror movies as being, but uh, to me that just makes it stand out even more. Speaking of, this is Florence Pugh's standout performance in what was a very strong year for her, along with Fighting with My Family and Little Women, and she's ably supported by Jack Rayner, Will Poulter, and uh, William Jackson Harper from The Good Place. There's a terrific score by Bobby Credick. The cinematography by uh, Pavel Pogorzelski is beautiful. This is this is a film that stays with you, and it, it certainly has with us because it's placing on this list above films that we scored higher at the time. It builds to a very satisfying conclusion, and th- this is one I will definitely be rewatching in uh, times of great need, <laughs> shall we say? I would say it has a happy ending. <sighs> Well, yeah, it has an ending. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Mm-hmm. Let's give you a rundown from 10 to 1 of the Sunshine Cinema Show films of 2019. At 10, we had 8th grade. At 9, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. At 8, Toy Story 4. At 7, we had Us. At 6, The Art of Self-Defense. At number 5, If Beale Street Could Talk. At number four, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. At three, Ad Astra. At two, Midsummer. And the number one film for the Sunshine Cinema Show of 2019 is Knives Out, rated 12A and released in November. It's a modern take on the whodunit. This film follows a family gathering that's gone awry after the family patriarch's death leads a master detective to investigate. I am Detective Lieutenant Elliot, and this is Trooper Wagner. We just want to ask a few questions. We understand the night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. How was it? The party? my dad's death oh it was great who is that guy Uh, mr blanc is a private investigator of great renown i read a tweet about a new yorker article about you you're famous attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death you mean if someone killed him you think one of us one of his family walt killed him mr blanc i just buried my father who committed suicide why are you here I suspect foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. As of January the 1st, 2020, Knives Out has grossed a worldwide total of £171 million, which isn't bad, against a £30 million budget. Ah, okay, that makes me really happy. (laughs) Ryan Johnson knows what he's doing. And I, I keep being surprised by how confidently his films will just do their own thing quite possibly my favourite filmmaker working today. Knives Out presents itself as a, a whodunit mystery, but over the length of its running time, it slowly transforms into uh, something else. A how getaway? Maybe there's an easy way to describe how this film operates outside the box without giving away the whole thing. What's important, though, is that, like the best murder mysteries, 
even when you know the uh, the perpetrator and how the whole thing informs there's a, a still a great deal of pleasure in just watching the whole thing play out over and over it's like the the cinematic equivalent of a rube goldberg machine you know there's, there's a simple aim but there's a lot of moving parts and part of the, of the fun is just watching them move um the individual parts in this analogy being the the all-star cast headed up by daniel craig doing a uh, very plummy southern american accent as benoit blanc but you also have uh, chris evans uh, subverting his captain america image by playing a just a colossal a-hole uh anna de armas who is the, the beating heart of the film and notably nominated for a golden globe for her performance you've also got jamie lee curtis michael shannon tony collette lucky stanfield it was the most fun i've had at the cinema this year massive work by everyone involved and i would just add to that by saying it's one of those films everybody's going to get something out of it yes absolutely and that's it for this uh, special edition of the sunshine cinema show uh, thank you very much nick thank you but most of all as always thanks to you for listening until next time take care goodbye Bye. missed anything in today's episode you can hear the edited podcast online just search for the sunshine cinema show podcast this is a sunshine hospital radio production get well soon